0: what's up everybody it is david and Candice. i didn't even introduce the show last time i just jumped in and started talking for those of you that don't know i mean you're listening so you should know that this is the sports ethos grizzlies podcast podcast we're glad to have you appreciate everybody coming back we enjoyed our off time during the off season now things are in full swing today was uh grizzlies media day i was fortunate enough to go there and be there in person today Candice caught up, watched a lot of it along the way online as much as she could, yep. and there were a lot of good tidbits from Media Day. I want to start off, first off, Candace, how are you?
1: I'm great. I'm great. How you doing? I'm excited. Yeah. Great same, day to be I, a great
0: have I've felt... I was pretty optimistic about this team, even with the Jaron injury. You know, I, I said I think if if Jaron is back by Christmas, this team can win fifty games. And after today, I feel like he's going to be back before Christmas. Now,
1: yeah, I do, I do get this.
0: And so we're we're going to kind of we'll we'll really start with that, but I, I want to dive into the probably one of the most interesting quotes of the day to me is uh, Coach Jenkins was asked about that. He was asked about the the Jaron issue, uh, the Jaron injury, mm-hmm. when he's going to be back, and all of that. And we got coach speak, right? Like we right. knew that that's what we were going to get. We we Zach Kleiman's not going to give us a set timetable. Taylor Jenkins is not going to get a set timetable. Jaron Jackson, we're just not going to know. They're we're running along the lines of what they initially reported, and everything that they're saying is he is on track for that. Right. So when Taylor Jenkins was asked about who would fill in, he mentioned a lot of players, but the one name that kept coming up over and over and over again as a replacement for Jaron in the starting lineup was Santi Aldama. Yep. What are your thoughts on that? Do you feel like... You know, Santi struggled, and, and there were a lot of people. There were a lot of y'all crapping on him, and I say y'all Either. because I was not one of y'all. Um, you know, he he struggled at times in the summer league, and now based off of what we heard today, I, I say preseason like Saturday, he's probably the starting four on Saturday, and. Yeah. I I feel like he it's his job to lose until Jaron comes back. Is that is that your mindset or no?
1: Pretty much I, that's what I get the sense of. I think they I think they are they're consider you know plug and play with the rookies because they mentioned those as well. But I think they would prefer their I think their best case scenario and it, and it is if you look at it from what the Grizzlies aim to be in terms of drafting and developing their best case scenarios as Santi, Santi Adama is able to step up and to play that role in feeling for Jaren and at least be serviceable until he gets back. That's the best case scenario for the team and just adds to their depth. So they're going to try to make sure that that works first. And if it looks awful, then I think they'll consider their other options. But yeah, um, because even Dylan mentioned, I mean, he just kind of, I don't think he was prompted when he brought this up, but I saw a quote where he mentioned, you know, you're going to, you guys will be really surprised by Santi this year as well. He said something along those lines. You were there, so you can speak, maybe speak better than that if, I'm, if I'm mistaken. But I think I saw something along those lines, and it just seems like that was a name that was coming up often. And Santi, he, Santi, he, I keep saying, I'm gonna, I keep wanting to say Salty Obama. You guys have messed me up with that. <laughs> uh, you guys messed me up with that. But uh, Santi, I think he mentioned talking about how he plans on like, Getting beefed up and, you know, it's physically so he can be stronger. I, because I think they've told him that it's his opportunity to lose. Um, and so he's been preparing for that in the offseason. Be interesting to see how that looks on the court. Um, as you know, I have concerns about Santi. I'm not super high um, on him by any means, but I understand the thought process. And because of that, and because how How Because of everything it would mean for the Grizzlies if it worked out, um, I'm okay with
0: it. I I think you have to temper expectations, Mm -hmm. right? If you come out of this media day and you, like, you guys have access, you know, like a, a lot of the videos are being posted afterwards, a lot of the quotes, you know, you're getting access to it. If you take away kind of the same thing that we were taking away from what we saw today, it's that, you know, Aldama is going to be the starting four. Is he going to be Jaron Jackson Jr.? The answer to that question is no. He, he's not. Santi Aldama is not the athlete that, that Jaron Jackson Jr. is, he's not the defender that Jaron Jackson Jr. is. We saw that in the summer league. There were times when Aldama was a traffic cone out there. He mentioned his work in the gym, um, you know, putting on weight, putting on that muscle because he wants to be more impactful on the defensive end. And that's fantastic. It's great that that was, you know, he he said there were two things that he focused on and he said more consistent shooting and adding muscle so I can be more impactful on the defensive end of the floor. So he knows that that's an area that he needs to work on and that's a plus, but, I don't see this as a knock on Brandon Clark. I think that they know what Brandon Clark's role is. Brandon Clark understands what his role is. And if you saw, you know, Brandon was kind of asked about that. He said, you know, if you're going to be the starter, if you're going to be coming off of the bench, like, what is your mindset? And he said, I'm going to be ready for whatever the coach wants me to do. Whatever, you know, if he wants me to start, I'm going to start. I think I've proven – that I can go out here and I can play along with the best players in the league. And now it's, I, I just don't feel like Brandon Clark is a starting four. I, I think that if we're talking talent wise, yeah, he's more talented than Santi Aldama. But if you're talking fit wise, whenever it comes to that starting five, when you have uh, Ja, jaw, I, I just, Man, I don't even know. Like, the feeling was it's going to be Aldama at the four. Yeah. But Coach Jenkins also said we could go small at times. Yeah. And so I I wonder if you don't see the Ja Ja Morant, Desmond Bain, Zaire Williams, Dylan Brooks at the four, and Steve Adams at the five. I wonder if you don't see that. I think that you could definitely make the argument that that's your best five players without Jaron Jackson. Um, you know, maybe not best five. I think you could probably put Brandon Clark in that argument over maybe Zaire at this point because Zaire's got some work to do yeah. before he gets to that level. But I think if we go into this situation, and I've circled the wagon a ton here, I apologize. If we go into this, if Santiago Nama is in fact the starting four for this team on opening day. If you go into it with the expectation that Santi Aldama is going to be Jaron Jackson Jr., you're going to be severely disappointed. If you go into it with the mindset that Santi Aldama can go out there and be a productive player at the four and not be a defensive liability, I think you're going to be much better off.
1: Right, right. And that's really the goal. I think the goal here is for him to be serviceable because he's not going to be jaron jackson you really nobody i mean he really is becoming a unicorn for a reason so that's I mean, that's sort of out of the window now the good news for asante is when it comes to offensive production it was a down year for jaron so if you're comparing offensive production especially from three with jaron i think he was like 31 percent so it's really it's, i mean it's kind of a low bar in that regard and i asante does seem to have worked on his shooting better he did seem to be able to do that consistently in the well much more consistently in the summer league and so I do think that will translate that would be the good news uh but I do think it will kind of be the inverse of, of the Jaron Jackson critique which is he's amazing defensively but offensively he's still got work to do I think it will be the inverse with Santi Adamo I don't think I'm not sure he'll be amazing offensively but I think he can be better than maybe Jaron was last year he's got he he's got that potential I believe he can do that particularly from 3 but he's gonna lack defensively. The question is, how big is that gap going to be? I, I do have concerns about some of the physicality. Um, that's one of the main things that is a question mark for me. But I do think that depending on your matchup, will depend on how will depend on how you tackle that situation. So if Santi's not doing well, I do think maybe you can plug and play and get some rotation minutes from you know, uh Jake Moravia or a David Roddy, depending on what the matchup is for kind of spot minutes, so to speak. Um, kind of a, I think really the sense I get is they're going to view it overall as a bi-committee approach. And while Salte Adama is sort of their hope and they're going to give him every opportunity, they're also open to having to change things depending upon matchups and what they're seeing kind of play out on the court.
0: Yeah, so it's, I'm still. I'm going to be optimistic. I have concerns. I worry about what the defense is going to look like. Steven Adams mentioned how well the system works and how you can plug different guys in, like plug and play. Uh, he was asked about what his role is going to be when with Jaron being out, and he talked about you know increased pressure on him to be a rim protector, yeah. and that's not a strong suit for him. But with his size and length, that's something you can protect the rim without blocking a lot of shots. And I think that, you know, JV was a great example of that. As much as he frustrated us with the drop defense, they would just murder him in the mid-range. His drop defense, he protected the rim very well. Opponents did not shoot the ball very well at the rim against JV. He didn't block a ton of shots, but he caused them to alter their shots. And that's what you need from seeing C- until Jaron Jackson gets back you don't have to have a guy out there blocking shots like Jaron Jackson. If it happens, is it great? A hundred percent. Yeah. Like if, if Santi Aldama is putting in work in this weight room and he comes out and all of a sudden we're seeing him be a rim protector, the likes of Jaron Jackson, it's going to be super refreshing and it's going to be trouble for the league, but I'm not going into this with that mindset thinking that's what's going to happen. You just need those guys to, make the other teams alter their shot at the rib. Yeah. So you got anything else on that before I move on to the next thing?
1: Yeah, I do want to point out one thing that I get I think gives me. Well, it's actually it's an interesting case. So when looking at projecting Salty to beat Santi to be the starter, this, the the Grizzlies start with the easier schedule um and we mentioned that in a previous episode. Um I think it's interesting for Santi in particular because even though the teams might be considered lower level, the power forward positions for most, for, for a few of those like first five games, those will be um, an interesting test. So for like New York New York Knicks, that's the opening game. He'll be up against um, Julius Randle. And then Houston doesn't really have, I mean, I'm i not intimidated by Tate personally, but then there's Christian Wood. Then there's the Brooklyn Nets. <laughs> so, uh, and I think the Sacramento Kings still have uh. Why does that name escape me? It starts with the Sabonis, right?
0: Yeah, it's yeah, and and then also you know they Keegan Murray, their their new right. young guy is right. gonna be, you know, he's gonna be a force to be reckoned with. So de- definitely some tougher matchups for him. Yeah. So even though the the
1: the teams are easier, I will say I think we'll have some insight pretty early on. On if that will work. After that, it does lighten up a little bit. Uh, so You know, you got Utah a couple times and um, I think the Celtics was a tough matchup, but without Robert Williams, we'll see how that looks. But I just think it'll be interesting because early on, I think we'll know. I mean, is it working or is it not working? And they'll be able to adjust accordingly. I think that's some of the good news. Um, and like we said, the the relieving factor of the schedule gets tougher when Jaren is projected to be back too, so that sort of plays into the Grizzlies situation. It sits, plays into the Grizzlies' hands and gives me a little bit more optimism, um, even though I'm not high on Santi himself.
0: So let's go to Danny Green. Were you able to watch any of his uh, media availability today?
1: No, I didn't see any of his. Video. I think I saw one clip, one clip or two. You posted but I saw his
0: quotes. So Zach, Zach Kleiman was asked about Danny green and, you know, Kleiman was very quick to say, like he, he is a part of this team. Yeah. So, you know, it's right now the roster size, it's over, right? There's one person that is currently on the roster for this team. That is not going to be on the roster come opening day odds are that person is killing Tilly. Yeah. I, I don't know who else it would be at yeah. this point. Um, I you know, I, I, didn't, we didn't, we didn't see X today in media That's availability. True. That's true. Um, I hadn't thought about that at all, but you but know, was the, the, he was mentioned a couple of times by, by different people. Um, so, you know, it, it's, Hmm. Danny Green was kind of asked, like, "What? what is your role here? What are you going to do? And, and he said his goal is to get healthy and come back and be a contributor on this team whenever it matters most. Um, he talked about teaching the young guys what to do to get to that next level. Mm-hmm. And that's something I, I went here next because – there's been a lot of buzz around Jay Crowder. And I saw that you and Isaac were kind of having a conversation, a sim like a small conversation about maybe taking Danny green's contract and going out and get a guy like Jay Crowder. Mm -hmm. I've I'm not a fan of that. And it's not because I dislike Jay Crowder so much. I, I like Jay Crowder. I love what he done for this team whenever he was here for that short period. But the one thing that Danny Green has done that Jay Crowder is not is is win a championship. And while Jay Crowder has a ton of playoff experience, knowing what to do when you get there, when you get to the finals, knowing what has to be done in order to win it is something that only happens with experience. And so to me, if you go out and you get a guy like Jay Crowder, is he going to be happy... As not being a rotation guy, I feel like, and, and not that you can't develop players with a plain veteran, because you can, you very well can. But if you go out and get Jay Crowder, you're you're looking at, um, Desmond Bain, Dylan Brooks, Zaire Williams, John Conchar, Jake Laravia, David Roddy, and then you add Jay Crowder to that mix of guys that are are buying. They're like these guys are going to be fighting for wing minutes. And for me in the long run, yeah, I, I would love to see the Grizzlies win a championship this year. And, you know, I, I said this, I think you were gone already cause your power went out, but I will never pick the Grizzlies to win the title at the beginning of the season, even if they are the favorite in, in Vegas, just because I have terrible luck whenever it comes to that kind of stuff. So I just kind of stay away from it. Sure. But I wonder what happens to this team when everybody is healthy. If you go out, if you move Danny Green right now and you go out and you get Jay Crowder, Jay Crowder is a better player than John Conchar, right? Okay. Like you, okay. okay. And so right now, if you ask me, all right, I need a winning play, who would I rather have on the floor, Jay Crowder or Jake Laravia? I'm taking Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder or David Roddy, I'm taking Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder or Zaire Williams. That one's a little bit closer, but I think that I still kind of lean Jay Crowder. And depends on if
1: it's the playoffs or regular season, but yeah.
0: You know, yeah, like playoffs. That's where, like, regular season wins don't matter. I I don't like – you have to win enough to get to the playoffs, but regular season wins after having playoff success – To me, the regular season doesn't matter as long as they finish somewhere outside of the like above the play in. I'm fine with it. Getting to that next level is what matters. And I feel like Danny Green can bring more to this team from that side of it than what Jay Crowder can.
1: So I don't disagree with you. Um, I will give two two caveats. I'm not necessarily advocating for the Crowder trade. I'm I'm sort of open to it. Um, but I'm not I'm not necessarily passionate one way or the other. But so one, our com- Isaac and I's conversation was in relation to if Danny Green can't play at all this year, because what I found interesting was Zach's Zach kind his quote was they think he'll be ready to play by the end of the regular season. They or he should be. He could be regu- ready to play by the end of the regular season. And my question is, if he's not going to be able to provide any playoff value on the court, even though he would be a mentor throughout the year, and that would be valuable, the on-court impact that Crowder could bring would then be worth considering. Because I agree with your point that I think the experience that Danny Green has would trump Crowder. But if I, you just have to consider that if if he can't provide any on-court assistance with a team that did lose Kyle Anderson and Anthony Melton and and with the rookies, the depth is, the depth is a question. I mean, the depth, the depth will be tested. The depth will be tested. It'll depend on their ability to develop. But, um, we know what Crowder can be and he's sort of a, a good fill that could provide value this year. Um, so that's one thing to consider about it. And then the other is when you're talking about the depth and, you know, where he fits in, I think what in terms of how he fit in the rotation, I think that his switchability, his versatility will really play a big factor in that. So, you know, that's a guy that could start with, at power forward if you needed him to when Jaren's out. Um, it's a guy that could go back and you can power forward, as we discussed, is not a place of strength when it comes to depth. So even if he just provided some of that depth from that perspective where you could switch him to the three or what have you. But he's just got that switchability that I think um, it wouldn't be as much of an issue. Sure, it would be a little crowded, and I think the rookies would get pushed out, but if you're talking about playoffs, you kind of would, I mean, yes, you want them to get some reps, but that's not something you want to be depending on anyway. Um, I mean, if you have Jake Crowder as an option. Now, if we have to do that, then so be it, and it's proven with Zaire and Desmond Bain and Xavier Tillman to, to work, but um, the preferred situation, if you want to go further in the playoffs, would be to have Crowder. So, Like I said, I'm not necessarily passionate about it, but it was important context. We don't, we aren't necessarily saying that they should trade Danny Green just to trade Danny Green, but that's if he's not going to be available at all this season.
0: That's fair. That's, uh, I I just kind of glanced at it briefly whenever I was sitting there kind of in between guys. So I, I I didn't catch that part of it. So that makes a little more sense. Yeah. I'm, we're still kind of talking, you know, this was about Danny Green, but did Taylor Jenkins kept using the phrase, if in front of Jaron Jackson, if, if he's not going to be available and Chris Harrington pointed it out. Um, Chris's tweet says Jaron, uh, Jenkins said Jaron Jackson Jr. is, is going, uh, solo on, on court stuff now and isn't sure when he'll ramp up to contact work. He has twice used the phrase if Jaren isn't available to start the season. Mm -hmm. Later on, Jaren came out and he says, opening night is not likely, but you'll like it. Right. So it makes me want to be optimistic about, okay, he's going to come back sooner rather than later. But then I just look at history and – I don't want to be overly optimistic, and I don't want to dive back into that too much. But I didn't want to go forward without mentioning the ifs that Taylor Jenkins was put Taylor Jenkins was putting in front of Jaren not being available on opening night.
1: Yeah, it's a little it's a it's a little strange, um, but these things always are when it comes to the Grizzlies and injuries. But it's a little strange how optimistic Jaren seems, and even like you said, Taylor Jenkins seems. But they're still sticking with the timeline has not been moved up. The timeline is the same. The original timeline is the same, which confuses me a little bit. Um, Taylor Jenkins went on to explain that, you know, there's a ramping up process that needs to take place, which I understand. But it is a little bit of mixed messaging, which scares me a little bit. I mean, I'm with you. I do want to be optimistic, but I don't know. I think we just we've seen optimism before and it not Mm -hmm. I mean, they said that Dylan would should be back to start the season last year. And yeah. And that, then, that didn't happen. That
0: didn't happen. So, they played 20 something games. So, yeah, yeah.
1: It did. Yep. Yeah. That didn't happen. So, it's the, it, it like, I'm with you. I'm, I'm 100% with you. Where I, I, I don't want to be optimistic. Like that sounds like good news. But also the fact that they're sticking with the original timeline. I don't know if they're just doing that because they'd rather, you know, they'd rather be conservative, conservative and, you know, not have people upset with the 1st certain timeline. Maybe it's that way of fixing that because they have given timelines before and it not worked out and they've been longer. Maybe this is them overcorrecting, doing the opposite, being super conservative in their timeline, and then we can say, you know, they can always be back sooner. It could be that. Um, and I'm interested to see if that's the case or if this is, you know, history repeating itself.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's it's small bones in the foot, you know, and that's right. the big bones heal a lot faster you've got to be careful with it because if if you push it, um, you know, I didn't see the scans. There were no scans released to my knowledge for the public to see what this looks like for Jaron Jackson, but the injury is the same type as what kept Zion out all of last season. Now there's big body differences you know, Zion is an explosive jumper. Jaron is athletic. He's not exploding like Zion is. He's not carrying the weight that Zion is. Th- there's a lot of stuff that goes with that. So I don't want, I'm not saying that to be pessimistic, but I, I'm i going to be, I guess, cautiously optimistic is, is the way that I'm going to handle this because I, I do want to see him come back sooner rather than later. But I also, I don't want it to be rushed. I don't want it to be something where he comes back too early and then he ends up missing the entire season. Like if he has to stay out until Christmas to be a hundred percent healthy, as opposed to coming back in November, 80% healthy with the risk of re aggravating that same injury. I'm going to, I just wait till Christmas. I'm, I'm fine waiting till Christmas. And that's You know, we, we don't get to make that call. I don't get to make that call. The Grizzlies, the, the training staff, the way Jaron's body recovers, there's a lot of stuff that plays into that. But back to Danny Green. And sorry that we went back down the Jaron rabbit trail. But, you know, he, he's an important part of this team.
1: Yeah, well, real quick, can I just – uh? I, just wanna say, I do think they'll be conservative. I am going to say I'm neutral um, because I'll just, just want to put out there my instinct is that Jaron's just being a little overzealous. Um, that's my instinct. He's an optimistic guy. He's always looking at the bright side. Because he mentioned that his foot still hurts sometimes in another interview, and so to me, that still says that like it can't be that soon if he's still experiencing pain.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there, we we know just there's there's no way that they're not going to be cautious. That they, they yeah. were cautious with Jaron the first time. They were cautious with DB. You know, John ja Morant seems to be the, you know, the one that you would want to be cautious with, but I, I think that his um, competitive spirit doesn't allow for that as much as some of these other guys. So, and, and that's not a, man, that can be twisted into something that it's not there. I'm not saying that these other guys don't have the competitive spirit, but but I feel like it's a lot harder for them to keep Ja off the floor than it is these other guys. Yeah. So Danny Green, he mentioned his knee, he said the knee is doing very well, and I think it was Doc Holliday that asked him. He said, are, are we looking at like a, a Udonis-Haslam type role? And and Danny Green just started laughing, and he's like, no, I'm I'm going to play. I'm going to play. And so, you know, we don't know when that's going to be uh, a guy at his age coming back off of a major knee injury. It, it's There's no chance that it happens before the first of the year. I'm guessing, you know, maybe late March, April, you know, like close to the last 10, maybe 10 or 15 games of the season, if we're lucky. Um, But I just like from what I saw from him today and the talk from the other guys, I like what he's bringing to the team already.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. And I even heard from uh, Chris Vernon mentioned this in the – and, and when he was doing his media available, well, you know, interviews and things, he mentioned that he'd heard that Daniel Green was looking at houses in Memphis. So he's obviously like, you know, invested in staying here and being here. And it does seem like he genuinely wants to be here and is excited to be here. And we all know as Memphians, if you embrace the city, we'll embrace you. So that's really good to hear, especially with a guy with his experience. And he's been to all these different places. He could easily, you know, be like, hey, no, I don't want to be here. But he's embracing this role, which is great to hear it. And one thing he said, uh one quote that stood out to me in particular when he was talking about being sort of that mentor, um you know he was saying he he wants to help them stay focused and locked in, which I think there are, but he said, there's nothing to really celebrate until you win a championship, and sometimes I do think that's something that the Grizz need to hear, and we kind of love how they celebrate in the post game things and I think I think to some extent they should keep some of that that joy for the game that Um, love and passion for the game but sometimes i think there are times like even throughout the minnesota timberwolves series where you know they won a game and it just seemed like it was a little too early like of a celebration um and i think having danny green around us sort of reinforcing that message could do them some good because they are these guys are still super young and so every celebration feels huge but i think he can offer that sort of perspective to help them balance that a little bit, because you want to celebrate the small things, and you want to, you don't want to, you know, take advantage of it or take those things for granted, but you also want to keep the goal, the real goal, in mind. So um, that that helped me feel confident about even if he, I really think he needs to play, but even if he doesn't play, I still feel really good about what he's bringing to the team.
0: Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. So, was there anything you know? I, I kind of let off with with the two biggest things that I wanted to talk about from the media day. Is there anything that you saw slash heard today that we haven't already talked about that you want to bring to the forefront?
1: I, I think those were the two the two main things, but I just want to emphasize how strong the culture is in this in this organization. And just as I went back and kind of looked throughout the league um seeing some of the issues, you know, the Nets and their situation and Boston and their situation and the Golden State's fine. They're, they're living on a the cloud. They just won a championship. But there are a lot of teams that just don't have the same continuity, the culture, and it's from top to bottom. And we've talked about this before, so I don't want to lament it. But I think that that just stood out to me. Um, because everything was consistent. A lot of the things that Zach Kleiman said when he was asked a question about Jaron Jackson was similar to what Taylor Jenkins said and similar to what the players said. It just was a consistent message on even something as, you know, it's not small, but even with the Jaron thing, like not just philosophical messaging, but also like practically intangibly, everybody being on the same page. And I just think that's so important. And I'm so excited about having a team I mean, you really, you read the quotes, um, you see how the work that was done, and you just get excited about what this team could be, and they seem so focused on the championship and winning that, that it's hard not to believe that they can't do it, even with the questions, even with the concerns, um, as I was a person with many concerns, I'll be honest, raise my hand, um, that was me, but there's still just so much optimism that it's kind of contagious. I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, I was, if you go back and you listen to my summer league review about Santi Aldama, like, especially those first couple of games, you, you just, you know how passionate I was about that situation. But even now they're saying he may start and I'm like, you know, I get it. You know, <laughs> yeah. Cause that's just how contagious their optimism is. And it's just, just great to see.
0: Yeah. And that's, you know, being hard on Aldama during the summer league, there for a guy that was not a rookie, we had certain expectations as fans, as people that cover the team. There are certain things, there were certain times where he'd look like a rookie out there, and it's like, you've been here before, this is not okay, like, you have to do better. And he did, he ended up yeah. doing significantly better as the summer league closed out, but there were definitely some things that made you scratch your head. And so I I will never say that the, you know, having concerns about what was going on with him was not warranted because it, it it was a hundred percent. You needed to be concerned because you wanted to see more from him. This was not a brand new draft pick. This was a guy that's had a full year. He's had some NBA time. So, you know, playing against summer league competition, you expect him to set that bar high and and he wasn't doing that at first. So I, I was glad to see him bounce back. I was also crazy excited about how excited the other players were for him. And and it wasn't just one. You heard multiple guys throughout the day talk about Aldama and yeah. the work that he's put in. So that that's, a reason to be optimistic. And, and that's it, – it's still – there's still questions. There's still things that we we have to be concerned about because missing your defensive anchor in Jaron Jackson Jr. is something – like th- th- there was a huge gap. When he was off the floor last season, and I'll pull it up real quick and see what the split was uh, whenever he was on versus off, yeah, but th- this this yeah. defense was significantly worse when Jaron was not on the floor, and so you have to you have to fill that gap. You have to find a way to fill that gap, and and so whoever it is, whether they go small ball and Dylan's playing the four, or if it ends up being BC, and, and I have no issues, I have no problem with BC being the you know the starting four. I just love what he's able to do off of the bench. And there's no issue with being that guy off of the bench. You look at some of the great dynasty teams in, in this league, they had guys that came off the bench that were starting caliber players but they continued to be bench players because of the value that they brought. Uh um, Manny Ginobili for the Spurs for you know all the championships they won. Ginobili was coming off of the bench because he was that spark. You need a guy like that. And I think that Brandon Clark is that guy for the Grizzlies. And so, you know, it's not that I want to see him, you know, quote unquote hindered to, to stay coming off of the bench, but I, I just, I like this team better when he's coming off of the bench.
1: Right. I, and I, I would agree with you 100%. Um, and I don't know if you want to pull up, pull up those on off numbers, but um, another thing that a couple a couple more things that actually just came to mind in terms of things that stood out to me was I think we got a little bit more clarity on the rotations in general. Uh, we sort of we sort of talked about this before, but not not really. But just based off the interviews, I sort of get the sense that we can for sure expect you know Kennedy Chandler, uh, Vince Williams, and question mark on Kenny Lofton Jr. or or otherwise known as junior i think we can expect to see those guys more in the hustle but when people when the when the staff when the players were talking more about rotation minutes i do think david roddy and jake LaRavio, there was some question about you know the mix and it's five rookies so you know who's going to be really kind of in the rotation it does and that sort of would have been the assumed thing but it was confirmed i think just through interviews um And just how people talk about it. I do think Kenny Lofton Jr. is a factor, though. I think it will depend on his play. But I'm not going to rule him out on potential play time. I think the preseason is going to be big for him. But uh, there wasn't a ton of talk about him. But also nobody said anything that made it sound like he would be locked into. um, I even think Kleiman mentioned that he wanted to be more in tune with the Memphis hustle this year. And I, yeah. I got a feeling that's got a lot to do with
0: uh, Kenny Lofton Jr. For sure. You know, that's a, when, when the initial question was asked about Jaron missing time, uh, Zach Kleiman said it is a, um, hold on. I, I got the exact quote here let me go find what he said. While, while that's pulling up. Uh, so Jaron last last season with Jaron on the floor, the defense was five points better yeah and that five points doesn't sound like a ton, but Huge. The, you know like if you go back through the the games and see how many games were decided by five points or fewer and like it, it that's a lot like it's it's a massive it. massive impact
1: and you it felt just, it watching the team like a one game that stands out to me in particular was the um, that home game where against the Golden State Warriors. So it was, yeah, it wasn't the game that was meaningless. It was the game before that. I want to say January or something like that. It was early winners before the All Star break. But anyway, it was huge in terms of momentum. Um, and the Grizzlies won that game, but Jaron got in foul trouble, and so. They looked great in the first quarter, and then he kind of sacked some of the second, and they started, and the Warriors made a comeback. And then there was this gap where he he was out for a good portion of the third. I think they brought him in close to the fourth, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm remembering that right. And that's when the Grizzlies went on their run to to win that game, because they weren't they were getting played off the floor, but it, it kind of looked like they were at times, just because nobody was able to stop. And granted, it was, you know, Steph Curry and I think, play second game back but when jaron came on the floor that's when everything began to click for the team it was just an obvious illustration to me about how much impact he he has and there were a few other games like that so that wasn't the only one but that's just one that stands out to me in how much of a difference he made on the court um i could have guessed that would be about five points at least or something like that because that's how significant it felt and looked um
0: as well, yeah. yeah uh, so back, Kleiman, Whenever he was, his exact quote: "It's a really healthy, open competition." And so, you know, he mentioned, uh, you know, uh, Aldama, Xavier Tillman, Jake Laravia, and their off season and the success that they had. Um, Kenneth Lofton, w- was mentioned as well. And Kleiman he simply he just said, "We like guys that can play basketball." And that's what Lofton has been able to do at every, every level. And obviously the, the NBA is different. And I know Isaac gets on me. He's like, you know, that, that was one of the things that it's, that I, when we were having the discussions about Chet is Chet had always been successful at every other level. And yeah. Isaac's like, the NBA is not every other level. And, and I get that. I understand that. But, when a guy has high level of success against the best competition that he can play against, I think you got to give it a shot. It doesn't always work out. You can go back and look over the history of the league and you can see that it doesn't always work out, but taking a shot on a guy like Kenneth Lofton jr. That's had that level of success at the, you know, the high school level, a U level playing with a national team. What you're not losing anything. If you, you, bring this kid onto the team and you catch lightning in a bottle, you look like a stinking genius. Yeah. If not, it's like, well, they took a shot on a guy that maybe was not your prototypical basketball player, but had a shot at some upside.
1: And, he and so, even yeah. so you don't, you really don't lose anything there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, just, you know, you, you kind of, you're just putting extra, you know, gaining extra ammunition is, is all it is. So a lot of, a lot of great stuff from media day. Killian Tilly is still not a hundred percent healthy. He he made a comment and and I wish that someone would have elaborated. They had, they had already called like, you know, we're going to do this question, this question, this question, and that'll be it. And one of the last things um, like in that series, he said, he said, surgery wasn't great. So we're taking our time. And that was in reference to the, the back injury. And so I, I don't know what he meant there. I'm not going to try and read too much into it. I don't know if it was like it wasn't great that he had to have surgery, yeah, or that the true. surgery didn't go well. That
1: was confusing.
0: and and it wasn't you know to me it wasn't real clear what he meant with that, and so I, I would have liked to have followed up on that, but they had already called. You know, you know we're, we're going to go to this guy, this guy, and this guy, and then we're done. So I, I didn't get that opportunity, but. Um,
1: it is. It does not. It does not sound optimistic either way. And I think I agree with you. Somebody's going to get cut. I, I think it's going to be him, uh, just because he hasn't been able to. I mean, he's had been able. I mean, he wasn't even able to participate in the summer league. I guess because of this back surgery, but that was a huge missed opportunity. I think he just like Aldama needed the summer league in order to kind of show their value and if they're growing. And he hasn't really been able to because he's just not been healthy enough, unfortunately.
0: And that's it, it. Really, it sucks for him because when he is healthy, when when he was healthy in college, there was no doubt about it about it that he had first round level talent. Like he he is, he does have NBA level talent, but his body has just failed him over and over and over again. And uh, our our buddy Dan here at Sports Ethos. He he says this all the time, and it's super accurate. He said, "Guys are injury prone until they're not, and our guys are healthy until they're not." And so, you know, you look over the course of just the last few years, and Joel Embiid has always missed a lot of time. Well, last year he played the highest number of games in his career. Dame Lillard has been a pillar of consistency, always out there playing. And then last year, he had an injury-plagued season. Yeah. And so, you know, at any given time, something can trans you know, like just transform, and then he's had injury problems, and then boom, now he's healthy. And, and I just hate that it, it's come to this for him. And, and we don't know. No, Nobody has mentioned that he is going to be the one that is gone. It's just something like if you're reading between the lines – that's kind of what it looks like. It, it, I don't know who else it would be, just to be completely honest. And, yeah. and that's, you know, there, there are other guys that maybe you could have a conversation about, but um, that was pretty clear. I, yeah, yeah, I think that talent-wise and just the the overall history from him, I think that it just has to point to him right now. So
1: yeah. And and speaking of injury, this is the other, this is the other point, kind of the last point I had um, that I wanted to talk about that caught my attention for Media Day, and it was sort of looked overlooked in the grand scheme of things, maybe because people didn't know about it. I don't know if you got the chance to hear some of Josh's comments when he talked to, talked on the Chris Vernon show, um, or if he mentioned this in the actual you know presser with you guys. But he talked about he was asked about some of his workout routines and some of the things that he did differently preparing this off season, and he did say that there was a focus for him on um doing exercises and things that would sort of protect his knees um and he and he said he basically said that normally his emphasis on the offseason was getting stronger that was his main point of emphasis but this time not only was it he talked about the landing more which i think he'd mentioned before but that was a more point of emphasis with the landing his durability as well as his shooting so um and kind of increasing his game with that so I did think that was really great to hear reassuring I think for me to hear that he's aware of um some of the durability risk you know with his style of play and that he actively did things to work on that this offseason to kind of help protect himself against that and you know you never know with these things but it's good it was good for me to hear that he put in the work
0: yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, this team is better with him on the floor. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, go, going back to that golden state series, he was asked, he, I, I did not hear the Chris Vernon interview. So um, those questions and he, were not asked in the media um, in the room where I was. That's so I, I didn't hear any of that, but I, I did. I feel like he was asked that sometime before and, and different. And that's something that that he had discussed a little bit, maybe not as much length as what he talks about on it. That on the Chris Vernon show, mm-hmm. yeah, you, you know, you you go back and you look at that that Warrior series and the the game at home. Whenever Dylan Brooks was your closer because John ja Morant wasn't there, it's like the Grizzlies win this game going away if John ja Morant is healthy. Like the, this game is is not even close. The, the Grizzlies ended up losing that game because they were not able to close. Had job in there and been healthy, I there. There's no doubt in my mind that the Grizzlies win that game. But you know that we can talk about what ifs all day. It's a new season. You, you know, grow. You learn from it and you move on. And I think that that is. Josh said that those thoughts were on his mind for about a week after the season ended, and then it was turn the page, get to work on the next season. So. I think that these guys are ready. I think that there are. Oh, I was fixing to sign off, but I want to bounce one more question to you before before we leave. Okay. I I think that heading into the offseason and with the moves that they made, you know, we had this conversation on the last episode. There were some things that. I won't say everybody, but a lot of people were concerned about, there were some things that I was worried about. And I know that you had mentioned some things that you had been concerned of mm-hmm. after seeing the the players and their media uh, availability today, them answering the questions, have any of those concerns just kind of gone? Are they gone for you? Are you like you, where, where are you at with that? Like I, it, Obviously, we still we're still concerned about the defense. We don't know what that's going to look like, but how much more confident are you in this team after the media day today?
1: Um, I feel more confident that they could get to the fifty wins. I'm not going to say I'm because there is still questions about for me the Aldama solution. I'm 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 not going to say I, I would change my predictions, but. I can see it going in a direction that would lead to about the 50 wins that that you projected. Um, And I, 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 yeah, I I think I'll stick with that. I can see the 50 wins. I'm not sure I'm going to change my official projection based off of it. Now, I might after preseason. So after preseason, if I get to see sort of what that lineup might look like and what he looks what he looks like. I might be more confident to say, okay, I think this team can get the 50 wins in. Whereas I actually originally had it where Isaacs, I actually had 27, sorry, not 27, 47 wins. And then I kind of bumped it up. I was like, okay, let me bump it up. one. But I was actually leaning like, it might be worse than that. Now I'm, I'm more looking on the right side up. Okay. So we'll see. We'll see what the end of preseason looks like. But if Aldama can hold up, then that that gives me a lot more optimism for what they can do, especially the main thing is just during that stretch when Jaren comes back. And, of course, I know he'll need some time to acclimate, but um, I feel pretty confident about what they can do with Jaren. In fact, we, we didn't get too far in this in the predict- the projection show or the prediction show because my power went out. But my think my thinking is they might struggle more in the regular season not struggle that they'll still be good, but they might struggle relative to what they did last year in the regular season. But I think they'll be better prepared for a deeper playoff run, especially if they get, you know, a Danny Green back. Um, I think the rookies will have had a year of experience enough to be able to, you know, spot minutes. I just think the chemistry and the lessons that they learned uh as a team last year and Taylor Jenkins as a coach makes them better equipped to make a deeper playoff run. So it it all There is a scenario where they could win 48 games and in my mind still go to the finals, like which sounds crazy, but actually looked it up. The Oklahoma City Thunder did the same thing in 2012. They had 48 wins, but they went to the finals. Um, So that was actually where my head was at because of how confident I feel about what this roster can do when it's healthy.
0: Yeah, I I don't know how many wins Milwaukee had the year that they won the title, but they were the three seed in the East the year that they won the title. You you don't have to be a one or two seed to make it to the final out out of your conference. So this team, they have experience for their core guys. The majority of their playoff rotation, hell, maybe even all of their playoff rotation is going to have playoff experience Mm -hmm. whenever we get to that point. So while there are reasons to be concerned early in the season, I think whenever it matters most that this team is going to be fine, excuse me, this team is going to be fine as long as everybody stays healthy. And and that, that's huge. You know, th- this team dealt with injuries last season, and, and Ja kind of mentioned that he said injuries have been a thing. Yeah since he's been here, you know, players have missed time, you know, whether it was Jaron or Ja or Dylan or whatever, like guys have missed time and this team has embraced the, the next man up mentality. There's so much more about this media day that we didn't really unpack. There were, there were a lot of, there were contract talks. Um, Zach Kleiman just shot it down. Uh, Basically just. He feels like they're in a good spot, but he wasn't going to talk about contracts. Right. And the players were the same way. Dylan was asked about it, you know, with it being a contract year. And he said he's not talking about it. Uh, you know, Brandon made it abundantly clear that he wanted to be in Memphis. Um, whether that's going to happen or not, we will see. Um, you know, that there were some kind of undertones of some of the stuff that he was saying. And Brandon's like, listen, man, I don't know what I, what I am supposed to say and what I'm not supposed to say. So I'm just not going to say anything. Uh, he, and then he just he went on to say about you know how much he likes playing here and how much he loves Memphis and, and his teammates and all that. So this team's in, in a good spot. I think that they have plenty of money to re-sign these guys, uh, depending on, on what kind of money they're going to demand on the market. Um, is Dylan Brooks going to be long-term? Is St- Steven Adams going to be long-term? Don't know. D- don't know what that's going to look like. I think Zach Kleiman and the front office will try to retain those guys if they see them as pieces that can win a championship, if not, they'll move on from them. But we, uh, we don't have to worry about that right now. We'll see what happens middle of the season. If they change their mindset on some of these guys, uh, you, you know, you have expiring contracts. So a guy like Dylan or Steven Adams or even Brandon Clark, if you feel like there are other pieces out there that you need to go get, um, those are guys that are on, on contracts that you can easily move if you need to. So we appreciate you guys tuning in. Apologize that Isaac was not with us tonight. Uh, th- this was actually just last minute. I sent Candace a message on the way home and Isaac said he was not available tonight. Um, it just, the way our schedules worked out this week, this is the only way that we could get this in before the game on Saturday. And I really wanted to talk about media day. Um, so you can get the show Actually, I'm going to get shot if I don't talk about this before we get out of here. Wait, it what? is fantasy basketball draft season. It's the biggest time of the year for sports ethos. This website was initially HoopBall.com. Hootball was driven off of its fantasy basketball analysis. The Brewski 150, the B-150, is the winningest list in fantasy basketball for like 10 years running. Aaron Brewski was kind of the pioneer of the top 150 list. And now pretty much every other website that does fantasy basketball analysis has a list that tries to match his, but they all fail in comparison. The Brewski 150 will be available to those uh, 360 subscribers in two days. You can buy it a la carte. You can get just the uh, the B-150 by itself. You can get a fantasy pass. All these things are great value. They will help you win your fantasy league Since I have found sports ethos, I have dominated fantasy leagues all over the place using the B-150 because his list just performs. It gave you guys like DeJounte Murray. You you got a second-round value last year in the fourth round from DeJounte Murray. You got second-round value from Tyrese Halliburton in the fourth or fifth round from the B-150, and and the list goes on. I I can run through about five or six guys – where brewski just hit it out of the park did he have misses absolutely you're gonna have misses whenever it comes to this but the list overall does not miss it helps you win championships go and win a truckload of money with the brewski 150 over at SportsEthos.com, and that's it that's our promo man we we really don't do much promos on, on this show we just kind of let the uh the automatic ads play and go with it but this is kind of the uh the fuel that drives the machine if you will so we we appreciate you guys. Uh, the show is on Twitter at Ethos Grizzlies. Isaac is Isaac underscore underscore NBA. I'm at NBA D Will two one. Candice is gonna let you know where you can find her and get us out. All
1: right, you can find me on Twitter at Candace H nine zero one. That's Candice H nine zero one. Again, we appreciate you guys' support. We look forward to the rest of the season. That's it. We're oh, yeah. out. You have a great